Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is we are americans while elections are sometimes messy this was a secure election the founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance and it's up to us to finish the job i tell you what we are in a truth emergency right now this is the end game It's Wednesday, June 28th, 2023, the 889th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple of days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, to get started today, I want to talk a little bit about Tucker Carlson and the video that he released last night. It is his seventh episode of Tucker on Twitter. Each episode is usually about 10 to 15 minutes long, and it's basically just the monologue that Tucker used to do on his nightly show. 
but it's more than that. It's a little edgier. It's a little more honest, a little more open minded now that he has been unshackled from Fox News. Now, it's not like he's turned into some hardcore truther, but he is pushing the envelope a bit more than he was on Fox News. And of course, that's good to see. Now, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before, but the reason I think that Tucker Carlson is really important is because Tucker Carlson is usually the first sign that a narrative has broken in to the mainstream. Some truth that has been developed and is talked about outside of the mainstream, something that is counter to the central narrative, has finally become so big and so necessary to discuss that Tucker is introducing it inside that informational bubble that protects the central narrative. I've talked about the information stream before at length. I wrote a long series about this called A Story About Reality last year. That is all on the Substack. But I believe that the way information used to work is that the global organizations or the country, the government, whether it is the global government or an individual government, perhaps in different countries and in times past, now it's kind of all the same. But they decide where they want things to go what the future will be for the people of the country or the people of the world, and they figure out how they're going to plot a course to get there and how they're going to communicate that to people along the way. And so the news that comes out, the narrative that is pushed, all that information is disseminated in service of achieving those agenda goals. So the information comes from the top down. Now, that's not to say that there's no bottom-up information happening before a few years ago. That is obviously not true. But the means for mass communication have always been controlled by the state. And this is why, in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the right of assembly is guaranteed. Because before we had means of mass communication, the way to make sure that citizens couldn't share information with other citizens was to prohibit them from assembling. And you might remember that in 2020, the places where people would assemble and talk were all forcibly closed because of an airborne pathogen that we were told could be spread by everyone, whether or not they're sick. They closed local stores where people in a community might shop and run into one another, people they knew. They closed bars and restaurants where people would get together and enjoy themselves and go specifically to have conversations. And they closed down churches where people would worship and search for solace and convene with their communities before and afterward. So there were certainly individual citizens finding out what was going on and trying to share it with other people, whether that was just from word of mouth or later on from the written or printed word that's always been around. But to get the entire society to do things all at once for the same reason, to get everybody on the same page, you have to control the means of communication, the means of information, and that is what governments have always strove to do. That model probably reached its apogee in 2020. Now, with the advent of the internet and all of the skills people have gained in ensuring that they are able to maintain open communication networks, 
no matter how much censorship and technological censorship and suppression is thrown their way, we have the ability to communicate with everybody at once going around that top-down control, that control over the means of information that the regime has always possessed. And because we're able to do that and because open-minded people understand this is what's happening and are listening to one another, whether they're a few doors down in the same city or from the next town over or a different state or halfway across the world, we know that people are trying to get the truth out to other people. And as they do this, as the events of their life and their world are shared, as truth is reported and posted and spread, people begin to see it. And if people think what was posted was valid, they share it as well. And then through that act of spreading information, sharing it with others, people post what they know to be true. Other people recognize the value in it and they share. And that process continues Eventually, that information reaches people who have specific knowledge about the situation being described by the person who originally posted the information. Other people have already weighed in. Now we have people with direct knowledge or expertise in that area, and they weigh in. They help vet the information with an open mind. They answer questions. They admit their doubt. That information keeps spreading, and it goes through level after level of vetting and people making sure that the information is valuable and important and relevant and accurate. And eventually that information becomes widely known and agreed upon throughout society. We watched this cycle happen over and over and over again throughout the very deadly pandemic. We've seen the cycle replicated when it comes to election theft and the insurrection and the war in Ukraine. Now, that's not to say that the process is completed on each and every one of those stories, each and every one of those verticals, but it's in process and you can see the effect it's having. You can see that we are well over majority agreement about all of these situations, maybe not in full, but people know there was something wrong with the election. Rasmussen has new numbers out today. Two thirds of likely voters, 66 percent of likely voters think cheating will affect the outcome of a 2024 election. And we're still 16 months out. We haven't even gotten through the primary process yet. Democrats supporting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. have not really come to terms with the fact that the regime will steal from their candidate, too. We're talking about people who are very used to getting their way. But the point is. The information eventually breaks into that central narrative bubble. And when it does, it is almost always Tucker Carlson delivering it. There are two ways to look at that. He is either the most heroic mainstream journalist getting the most possible out of his platform, or he is the most powerful gatekeeper of information in our society and gatekeeping information is how we get to a position like this. And I'm genuinely not sure where I come down on that. I could go either way. I generally think Tucker is good. Do I know that? No, I don't know it. Could he have been out there talking about election fraud every day for the past two and a half plus years? Yeah, he could have. But did he? No. So why is that? Well, the answer to that question would definitely give us the answer to the bigger question. Is Tucker good or is Tucker the most powerful gatekeeper of information? The man who is more than anyone else responsible for people not understanding the truth. We shall see. 
But the important thing to understand about Tucker is that he is that guy. Joe Rogan has a similar role, but Joe Rogan is not seen as quite the same mainstream figure that Tucker Carlson is. And Tucker Carlson's Fox News audience goes a long way to proving that these are more mainstream people. But the point is, once Tucker Carlson introduces different facts or different storylines into the central narrative, they are just simply there. They cannot be removed. People are going to understand that they exist and eventually they are going to have to be dealt with. And sometimes it's easy to see what's happening. A big story about immigration where he's the only one covering what's happening on the border or how he was the only one talking about how maybe supporting Ukraine as much as we are might not be the best idea in the world. All of that was very edgy for mainstream audiences. And so audiences of Tucker Carlson and any villagers out there would see what Tucker is doing as groundbreaking and on the very front cutting edge of the timeline on when people are getting this information. If Tucker says something and everybody has just heard it now for the first time, people assume that that is the first time anyone has heard it. But that's not the case. Most of the stuff that breaks in there that people hear for the first time is stuff that's been talked about in different parts of the internet for months, if not years, if not sometimes decades. So as someone who exists on those more outer parts of the internet, further upstream in the information flow, it's great to see when things that we've been talking about for a long time have been introduced into the central narrative by Tucker Carlson. Because the reaction is always, to me at least, finally, finally, people are going to understand that this thing really is happening. It doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with it immediately. It doesn't mean that people are going to figure out the entire story right away. It just means now we get to talk about this. And for the record, I want to qualify what I just said about being upstream from Tucker in the information flow. We are upstream from Tucker in the information flow relative to what he broadcasts. That does not mean that Tucker does not know the same stuff. I think Tucker is very smart. I think he is very good at what he does. And I am not trying to place myself or those of us in this community in any way above that, so long as he's a good guy. My perspective on that would change entirely if I found out he wasn't. But the point is that the information we deal with and share and spread is stuff that Tucker Carlson does not deal with and share and spread until often considerably later on, which means whenever I see him doing it, I think that we have crossed some sort of threshold relative to the event in question. And it seems to me like those events are coming up more often. I want to share a couple moments from last night. And the first one I want to share is interesting because just yesterday on the podcast, I kind of was a little dismissive, uh, let's say, of Winston Churchill and his amazing feat of conquering Nazism. I imagine there are probably some major Winston Churchill fans in my audience, and all of them probably recoiled when they heard me say that. But hey, Winston Churchill people, I don't know what to tell you. 
Was the UK a force for good in World War II? Questionable. It's questionable. Or did they help the Prussian Empire do what they wanted? It's it's questionable. It's especially questionable now while we're watching Joe Biden support actual Nazis in Ukraine, knowing full well that they are trying to reverse that story and treat Putin and the Russians as if they are the Nazis so that they will have that story for history, for all of time. It's a little hard to take what we were taught about World War II throughout our lives at face value at this point. And that includes, of course, Winston Churchill. And it includes, of course, the British crown, who are, of course, Prussians. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and read Prussiagate. It's all there. The bloodlines, the ideologies, it's easily traceable. And as soon as you know it, you can't unknow it. Once you notice, it's all there is. And you just say, oh, (laughs) gosh, that makes so much sense. Yes, it just is this. My, 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 that is incredible. Everything I was taught, all of these convolutions and complications that I was forced to memorize over so many years of my life, all of them were just to cover up this simple, clear fact. (laughs) It's It's all just the Prussians. Just one massive war machine with a thoroughly satanic agenda bent on world domination. I know it sounds preposterous. It just also happens to be true and obvious. Now, Tucker's episode last night was about our support for this Ukraine war, as it's told to us, and the powers that can be used by the people in charge once a war is underway. And he brings this up because there was just an interview featuring the comedic actor from Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, who said that they may not have elections next year unless Ukraine wins the war. If Ukraine wins the war, then sure, they will have elections. But if Ukraine doesn't, then all bets are off. And think about the total inversion we have been introduced to in this scenario. The war is so important that we wouldn't want to change leadership while the war is underway. That's what we're told. That is what a lot of people believe because they were told to believe it. And there is a way in which it sounds like it sort of makes sense. People might have an inclination to think, well, war is going to take up all of a president's time. So being able to run a campaign, that's going to be really tough. And it wouldn't be fair to have an election without the president having an opportunity to campaign. So therefore, for the good of the country, we're just going to cancel the election. But that's absolutely bonkers. And it assumes that the war must be going well, because otherwise it becomes absolutely and immediately obvious that if the war is going poorly and the citizens of the country want to remove that leader through a scheduled election, canceling the election would take that right away from them. What they would be left with is no choice other than leaving a president in power who not only got into a war, but is actively losing the war and people would have no recourse whatsoever. So in just a second, We'll get into a couple of stories that Tucker has now inserted into the central narrative. But before that, let's hear what he has to say about Winston Churchill. No matter what happened in Russia, we, the United States, would continue to support Ukraine's defense 
and its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. So to recap, we are currently fighting a war for democracy on behalf of a leader who just casually announced he's happy to end democracy, and our democracy-supporting leaders have no problem with that. In fact, they're strongly for it. Shocked? You shouldn't be. Of course they're for it. You should have seen this coming. Wars for democracy always cancel democracy in the process. That's why our leaders love them. And they all do it, even the virtuous leaders. Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. The British government under Winston Churchill threw an entire opposition party into prison and let them rot for the duration, in some cases with their families. So in a war for democracy, you can do anything. How come they don't tell us that about Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln? It's weird, huh? It's almost like they want us to understand only one history, but not the full history. Like they're trying to convince us that something is not quite the way it actually was. It's almost like all the history we are taught is designed to give us a rendition of the story that extracts the global regime completely. Not only the presence of the global regime in the story, but the role that they actually played. And the story we're left with is a history written by the winners where the winners make sure that they seem like the good guy the entire time. Just imagine for a second how Joe Biden would be portrayed in 50 years if the globalists win. He would be lifted up as the hero who continued Barack Obama's groundbreaking brave work and finally brought the United States all the way into the global community. He was the one who brought the United States out of its racist past and redeemed America in the eyes of the world. That is what the history will write about this time. You think the globalists care about America's long-term reputation? They don't even care about America. They don't want nations. You want to know how Joe Biden ends up a hero? That's how. And once you realize that, there's absolutely no reason to assume that the heroes they've told us about in the past were in fact heroes. Now, I'm not saying our history is never correct at all. I'm just saying that there's not a very good reason to believe that it is. Now, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you'll know that my litmus test for almost everything is someone's position relative to elections in our country. If you are unable to admit that there is no way in the world Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes and that that is not absolutely an indicator that something is seriously wrong in this country, then I cannot respect your opinion on basically anything and certainly not anything related to politics or morality or basic survival instincts, let's say. And because that is my litmus test, Tucker Carlson often fails that litmus test. He has a massive platform, reaches tons of people, and he, for whatever reason, has not committed to talking about the theft of our elections on a regular basis. He has not gone in and explored and found out our elections are stolen across the country from local school board and city council races all the way up to president and everything in between in every state in the country. If you can't understand that, I'm not sure where we can go from there. And Tucker hasn't spent much time talking about it. He'll hint at it. 
here and there, indicating that he clearly knows. And sometimes it seems sarcastic and provocative. And sometimes it seems like he's just teasing people who actually know, hey, don't worry, guys, I'm going to get to it later, which I personally don't appreciate all that much. Now, because I don't know the grand strategy on how this is all going to end and be resolved, that is all above my pay grade. I try not to make too many irreversible character judgments on people on this one fact alone, but it does mean that I do not trust them. I've said before, hey, maybe even Ben Shapiro is just running an info op and helping to wake people up at the right speed. I don't think so. And I have absolutely no reason to give him the benefit of the doubt in any situation. But at least I can acknowledge the real world possibility that I am wrong about that. And in the future, I might owe him a significant apology, which I will be more than happy to make. But regardless, the election fraud thing is actually a very good litmus test to see what a person is actually made of. There is no moral or intellectual way to defend ignoring the theft of our elections unless unless you want to make the argument that elections aren't important and aren't necessary and that there's some other way to achieve freedom in the world without them. Otherwise, I can't think of anything more significantly immoral than silencing the voice and the will of all of the people at once while telling them that everything that's happening in the world to destroy the world is something that they chose for themselves freely and fairly and that they should protect the system as it exists at all costs, including their own life. There aren't too many people who are going to try to answer those questions on a moral basis and make a convincing argument, which is why it's pretty easy to say that in almost all cases, if someone is denying that our elections are stolen and trying to cover it up and trying to move on from the 2020 election, that person is a traitor to America and unquestionably a supporter of the global communist regime just as they would be a bootlicker for a king if we were in a feudalist system. But here is Tucker from last night. And so he is a father first. Take it or leave it. So a whistleblower produces a text message showing that Joe Biden was in the room with his son when his son was selling influence to an enemy power, the Chinese government. And ABC's take on it, Joe Biden is a father first. Take it or leave it. What accounts for a response like that? Well, that's the way you talk when you've got nothing to fear from an upcoming presidential election. You don't even bother to think of an excuse for your candidate because you don't need to. Your country has electronic voting machines. Joe Biden got 81,282,916 votes in 2020, and you're pretty sure he can do it again. In fact, you know he can. You're not worried. So how about that breaking into the central narrative? A couple of weeks ago, we got the Halderman report. We had known about the report for a long time. The report was finished years ago. It was kept under seal. The public couldn't know what's in that report. We were told that Tucker Carlson knew election fraud was a lie. We saw his text messages reported to be in the discovery documents in the Fox versus Dominion case. And we talked about Tucker's text messages and how he knew there was no election fraud rather than the fact that Dominion's discovery showed 
that Dominion knew its machines were wide open and vulnerable to manipulation and could not under any circumstances be guaranteed to produce a reliable and accurate result that reflects the will of the American people. But we were told to focus on the text messages and all of the villagers focused on the text messages. Election fraud was a lie. Even Tucker knew it. None of that was true, but they said it. And the text message supported them eh, just enough to make the point, to make sure that no one pays attention to what's actually in the Dominion filing. The Halderman report comes out a couple of weeks later, and then we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no way that Dominion could claim its machines were so safe and so secure that election fraud via machine was not possible. Fox could have won their lawsuit just based on those facts, but instead they settled for $787 million because it makes it go away. It allows them to keep the same system in place. And the lies about the situation were enough to go on for all of the people out there still denying that our elections are stolen and understanding that their position is so weak that they need anything to buttress that position for a little longer. They believe that sooner or later, it'll just all go away. Everything is normal enough. We're going to have an election next fall. As long as Donald Trump doesn't win that election, they get to take their denial of election fraud all the way to the grave. It'll never come out. Certainly not in time for Donald Trump to ever go back into office and ever be president again, ever prove that case. Maybe it'll come out in 10 or 20 years. Maybe in 30 years, people will admit, oh, yeah, that election in 2020 was absolutely stolen. And pretty much everybody knew it at the time. But the regime just lied to us. And hey, eat the bugs. We got through Fox Dominion. Nothing new entered the central narrative. In fact, everyone addicted to the official story and the central narrative at all times thought that their position was actually reinforced. The Halderman report comes out, doesn't enter the central narrative. Tucker, of course, knows all this, but he doesn't mention it. And why? Either it's because he is running a slow drip disclosure operation, as I have suggested plenty of times, or he is a gatekeeper of information and didn't want to disclose that information to the public, particularly not in light of the situation with Dominion and his contract situation at Fox, etc. But now he has introduced the concept. Now he has said quite clearly that election outcomes are of no concern to the regime because they have the voting machines and they can decide at all times who is going to win the election. There is overwhelming proof of election fraud. There is overwhelming justification to not believe that it's even possible for our elections to be accurately and reliably counted and reported to the people in this system. Not any election ever, but in this system. And now the third approach has finally entered into the central narrative. Everything we are seeing happen now would not make any sense if our elections were free and fair. 
They just could not do this because none of what they're doing has majority support. Not anywhere. Not only is that true now, but it's growing more true every day. And when people really understand what the existence of the Uniparty actually is and actually means, there won't be any support for any of it. Republicans think that to defeat the Democrats, they at least have to support what establishment Uniparty right Republicans support. Democrats think that in order to beat Republicans, they have to support what the Uniparty left establishment Democrats support. They will go on board with all sorts of things they don't support at all just because they believe that's what is required to support their side against the mortal enemy of the other side, even though the Uniparty left and the Uniparty right are essentially the same thing and working together all the time as controlled opposition to keep the regime in power. From the regime's perspective, it doesn't matter whether red is ahead or blue is ahead. Think about it like a horse race. Two horses coming down to the wire, neck and neck, one red, one blue. Well, if the same guy owns both horses, what difference does it make who wins? The owner wins either way. The regime wins either way. It doesn't matter to them whether it's Republicans or Democrats. It only matters that the Uniparty remains in power and continues pushing the agenda forward. It's important to realize that the reason we have elections and that we can vote for a representative government in the first place is because that's how the people hold accountable those who are in power. We can't do that in a feudalist system. The people can go complain to the king, but the king can just say, eh, okay, so what? I don't care about your needs at all. Voting in elections and having representative government is the attempt to fix that problem. But if we don't have free and fair elections, then there's no way to hold anybody accountable. And then the people in power don't have to do anything that the citizens want them to do. And it turns out that that's the exact situation we find ourselves in in America in 2023. They don't have to do anything that the people want them to do, and they don't do anything that the people want them to do. All they try to do is create a story that people will believe about why the bad things are happening as the people in power just march ahead with the same agenda no matter what. So good for Tucker for finally being so clear and forceful with this fairly obvious truth that when you have unreliable machines that are wide open to manipulation, we do not have elections, we have selections. Are we supposed to pretend that Tucker is lying, that Tucker is uninformed, that Tucker is spreading disinformation? He has been very close to lawsuits dealing with this exact issue. He knows what he's saying and he's saying it anyway. Why is he saying it anyway? Because it's true. And it's likely that we're going to keep hearing more about it very soon. So is Tucker helping us break into the central narrative with critical information or does he know something's coming? And as the informational gatekeeper, he is switching his position to always remain ahead of the curve 
as far as the villagers are concerned. All of the villagers will still think that Tucker is ahead of the game at this point by mentioning machine fraud in our elections, even though we are now four months away from the three-year anniversary of that stolen election. So Tucker goes on to discuss how the regime would like to keep Joe Biden in place, continue to have Joe Biden there being run by Susan Rice and other Obama people and Barack Hussein Obama himself from his basement, as he has said in news interviews, he would love to just sit there in the basement with an earpiece and still run everything. But I know, I know he was just joking. All kidding aside, though, that really is exactly what's happening, just as it is when Joe Biden talks about selling state secrets. So they would like, of course, to keep Joe Biden in place, but they can't do that because Joe Biden is running out of time in many, many ways. So they're going to need a replacement, someone the people will accept, someone who can keep all of this going with a shiny, happy face on. And he mentioned that as the next likely possibility, the Democrats would put up Gavin Newsom. And he has something very interesting to say at the end of this most recent episode. And there's only one man in modern America who fits that description. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and perhaps not coincidentally, Joe Biden's new closest friend. I am here, Mr. President, Newsom told Biden at an event the two did together last week. I am here as a proud American, as a proud Californian, mesmerized by not just your faith and your devotion to this country and the world we're trying to build, but by your results, by your action, by your passion, by your capacity to deliver. <laughs> I am mesmerized by you, Joe Biden. <laughs> Imagine saying that as a compliment. You couldn't do it. Few human beings could do it. But Gavin Newsom had no problem at all. Those words rolled right off his forked tongue. He never stopped smiling. So if you're looking for the leader of the coup... There he is right there. The leader of the coup. Now, that is an interesting concept that has been reshaped in a lot of people's minds, including mine, over the last few years. We used to think of a coup as some sort of force, some military force. Some leader comes in, gets the military under their control, and then they depose whoever is in the role of president or if it's a dictator, then the dictator. But the military comes in under the leadership of someone who is not the president and they take over the government, replacing the old government with a new government. That is the old understanding of how things worked in a prior age. But now we're in the age of fifth generational warfare, information warfare, and coups can be carried out in different ways. Now, we could consider Gavin Newsom replacing Joe Biden as an extension of the coup that removed Donald Trump from power and the coups that were attempted against Donald Trump for the entire duration of his first term. But could Tucker also be thinking about this and framing this as a coup to replace Joe Biden? And what would that look like? Would the regime stage a coup against a regime president? Well, yeah, why wouldn't they? They genuinely profit and seize more control whenever they are able to destabilize societies. Will they destabilize societies to get rid of someone they don't like? Sure. 
But there's nothing to say they wouldn't destabilize a society to get rid of someone who is their guy, but just doesn't serve them as well as their guy should anymore. And that could describe Joe Biden. Joe Biden now has a whole lot of liability. Joe Biden is not able to do his job cleanly and smoothly because there are too many scandals. He is too old, too stupid, too compromised. There's too much coming out about Hunter, about his family, and his family sure has ties. You wouldn't want to get those other people in trouble. So eventually you take down Joe Biden as the fall guy. I've been talking about this for three years and you replace him with someone else. Is that the coup Tucker's talking about? And how would that coup be enacted? Well, they could certainly do the same things on the streets that they were doing before destabilize the country as much as needed. Blame it on Joe Biden. Get rid of him. All the war can be waged. All the coup can be waged among the citizens on the street and then through information at the highest levels. And then the media just tells us, hey, it's time for Joe Biden to go. Enough of the uniparty politicians get on board or the cabinet gets on board and then Joe Biden's gone and we have a replacement for him. And they could be working on all of that right now. So I want to build on a couple of the subjects that we've been talking about over the past, I guess, three episodes now, Friday of last week, Monday and Tuesday of this week. I was thinking about what we discussed yesterday, a Fantasia, the lack of an ability to form visual imagery in the mind's eye. And I was thinking about how we get conditioned to believe certain things. I brought up at some point the movie Clockwork Orange and the scene where little Alex was strapped to a chair and his eyelids were propped open and he was forced to sit there and look at all of these images on a movie screen, various images that were meant to tempt him or entice him or horrify him or excite him. And all of this was supposed to treat him for his violent tendencies and take that motivation out of him to essentially brainwash the violence out of him. And I was talking about how that doesn't happen to us. And I was thinking that maybe it does happen to us in a certain way. You think about the advent of television, the advent of pop culture, how popular and how societally relevant movies have become over time. And now we've gotten into short pieces of content watched on your television, watched on your computer, watched on your phone. They're in your pocket. You're just constantly fed information and images and video to watch all day long. That content is predominantly delivered by algorithms that know exactly what kind of person you are, the sorts of things you're into, the activities you engage in, and it wants to change your mind in certain ways. It is set up, it is designed specifically to be able to do that and to automatically customize itself to you and the goals they have for you and your behavior. And we engage in all of this stuff willingly. So it doesn't seem at all like the clockwork orange example, but it may simply be that we are so well-trained we are happy to do it to ourselves. We'll keep the television on all day while they show us commercials about a false reality. They construct a false reality for us. They say, this is what the world is like. Look at the other people. Look how happy they are that they have a thing you don't have. 
Think about how much happier you would be if you had this thing. Now you have to live in the world where that thing is your new goal. We watch television shows and movies that we know are propaganda, professional sports, something I watched my entire life up till a few years ago and still watch from time to time. Well, sports are absolutely filled to the brim with propaganda. Even the left used to complain about that when they would have flags covering an entire football field and military jets flying over all of this funded by the Pentagon using American tax dollars. Americans were funding their own propaganda, but at least that was relatively patriotic. Now we're in the age of kneeling for Black Lives Matter and making hockey players wear rainbow colored jerseys and having in-stadium performances by blasphemous cross-dressers. The sports are nothing more than the spoonful of sugar that helps the propaganda go down. So I think it's pretty clear, at least on some level, that we are participating in our own brainwashing. We know that we're doing it. Many of us would even like to stop doing it, but we still choose not to stop doing it because everybody else is doing it. And it seems at least like if we stop, we're no longer going to be able to connect to anyone else. It feels very isolating. It seems like it's going to be lonely. And because we're so habituated and accustomed to the continued brainwashing, we simply convince ourselves it's probably just fine this way. And honestly, maybe it's even better. And anyone who does this consistently over time, who spends too much time, for instance, watching television, watching sports, watching movies, watching ridiculous content on the internet, we begin to replace the images we have of the real world, of how things actually are with the images that we are receiving predominantly given to us from the top down, from authority, either directly through the mainstream media or indirectly through algorithms that select what it is we are about to see. If we spend only a few hours a day engaging with the real world as it exists and we spend four or six or 10 hours a day deeply involved with movies or television or playing video games or watching TikTok, it's probably going to be relatively easy to convince us that reality is something other than it is. Now, yesterday in the second half of the show, I called it a tale of two tapes. We had audio in one case of President Trump. The audio that it has been claimed shows President Trump in the process of committing espionage, admitting that he is showing these writers of Mark Meadows book, top secret classified national security information. And then we had a video of Joe Biden meeting with Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, and joking about how Biden sold state secrets. Then he said, all kidding aside, and went on. And because he said, all kidding aside, that means just joking, nothing to see here. I pointed out that the public response, the response within the central narrative, the response repeated by your standard issue villagers across the country, 
who support the Union Party left and the Union Party right was a total inversion within that false reality of what should have normally been taken from those two video clips. Joe Biden is credibly and reliably accused of selling state secrets. He has a history of political corruption. He says publicly that he's doing that, but he also says he's kidding. And we're supposed to take him at his word, even though everyone is a little bit shocked about what he's saying and kind of just laughs to cover it. And then we have Trump, who does not have a history of selling state secrets, who does not have a decades long career of political corruption. And he is actually joking. Sounds like he's joking. Everyone in the room sounds like they're also joking and in on the joke. And we are supposed to take Donald Trump seriously and believe that the audio is evidence of him committing espionage while Joe Biden's video is just Joe Biden joking around good old jovial Scranton Joe just having a laugh, entertaining the press, making them giggle as if they were just lightly tickled or maybe sniffed by an old degenerate pervert. And naturally, it's been an interesting 24 hours, and I figured why not update everyone on the status of these two tapes? Joe Biden has certainly said things in the last 24 hours. Let's see how Joe Biden is doing, that old joker, that old guy who just kids around. He's very, very in control of all his faculties. He's a very clear thinking man, and he is a very clear spoken man. And no matter what, you can be certain that Joe Biden is always 100% on top of his humor game. There is no one funnier in the business than Joe Biden. He is always joking around. That's how you know he was joking around then. He is sharp as a tack and able to execute even the most complicated jokes with exquisite military precision. And because his extremely legitimate White House and administration knows that Joe is sharp as a tack, they will occasionally let him go answer questions from the press. And he did that this morning. Here's how some of that went. President Biden, how involved were you in your son's Chinese shakedown text message? Were you sitting there? Mr. Were you involved? Uh, were you involved? No. President Biden, how involved were you in your son's Chinese shakedown text message? Were you sitting there? Were you involved? No, I wasn't. And the question was asked again, to which Joe Biden screamed no at the reporter. And that means for sure, no. That's not the kind of no that's just covering up the fact that he absolutely was involved with his son's shady foreign business dealings, despite having said that he was not countless times, including in front of Donald Trump on a national debate stage. But it's good to get him on the record since his spokesman, John Kirby, will not answer those questions. His press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, will not answer those questions. And whoever they replaced Corrine Jean-Pierre with yesterday will not answer those questions either. Who knew that it could all be so simple? All you need to do is send old Scranton Joe out there to the reporters and have him scream no at them. But that wasn't all we got from the fake president this morning. He also chose to weigh in on Vladimir Putin. 
he was asked whether or not Vladimir Putin was weakened by the fake coup over the weekend. So, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. And he is uh, becoming a bit of a briar around the world. Uh, it's not just NATO. It's not just the European Union. It's Japan. It's, it's uh, you know, it's... It's hard to tell. He's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. Now, it's hard to tell what Joe Biden thinks of the status of Putin's war in Ukraine, but apparently his war in Iraq that no one besides Joe Biden knows about has been a huge loss for Vladimir Putin. And that is very sad, of course. Or maybe it's happy. Who knows? It's hard to say when we're talking about imaginary wars. But the fake coup apparently means that Putin is losing the war in Russia, despite the fact that the coup wasn't real. And of course, it's very hard to tell how the war in Ukraine is going because Joe Biden hasn't let us know yet. Now, all kidding aside, (laughs) get it? It's clear that Joe Biden just misspoke there. Of course, he meant the war in Ukraine and not the war in Iraq. There's no Russia-Iraq war. He was just joking about that. Or, you know, maybe I guess it's possible that he doesn't have full control over his faculties. And maybe he doesn't have the razor-sharp comedic wit we've been told he has by everyone trying to say that he was just joking when he talked about selling state secrets. The other problem here, though, is does Joe Biden actually think that Putin is losing the war in Ukraine? He can't actually believe that. Not after the last 16 months now of being given absolutely no reason to believe that Putin is even suffering setbacks regarding Ukraine. It has been nothing but Ukraine and the regime, of course losing that war the entire time. But Joe Biden can't say that. So instead, he's just going to lie to the American people. Now, he wasn't able to pull it off because he couldn't make it all the way through that sentence. He substituted Ukraine with Iraq, and now everybody's focused on that. But was Joe Biden really about to tell the American public that Putin is losing in Ukraine and losing in Russia? Why is the president lying to everyone? Oh, right. It's because he's not accountable to the people at all because he knows that our elections are stolen and that's how he got in there in the first place. But then we have Donald Trump. Just two nights ago, we were told this is the damning evidence. The audio of this interview is going to change everything. This is Donald Trump, the former president of the United States of America, just speaking cavalierly about his handling of classified documents and these very important war plans. He exposed all of this to the ghostwriters of Mark Meadows' book, which is basically the same as selling state secrets to our foreign adversaries like Joe Biden did. And Donald Trump is not joking, despite the laughter you can hear on that audio recording. No one in the room is joking. Everyone understands how serious 
it is what's happening. Donald Trump is committing espionage right in front of these reporters. In fact, the DOJ now has this audio as evidence that they intend to use in their prosecution of Donald Trump, the first federal prosecution of a former president in the history of the country. This is the damning evidence. And now it's been leaked to the media and now everyone's heard it. And gosh, it sounds like he's joking. What could it have been all those papers rustling around those national security documents? They were all supposedly classified, top secret stuff, all of them outlined in the indictment, of course. And so there must be some sort of classified document that the DOJ has as evidence of this taking place to support this audio and the conclusions that are being drawn about this audio from the public, right? They must have that document. We have to know what that document is. Well, I mentioned on the show yesterday that there had just been a big article in The New Yorker by Susan Glasser about Mark Milley's plans on how he was going to undermine the duly elected president to make sure that the president of the United States of America could not use the military to carry out any mission on behalf of America once it was determined by the regime and the television that Joe Biden had actually won. There were concerns for a year that if Trump lost in 2020, Iran would immediately begin making moves to acquire nuclear material and a nuclear weapon during that transition period. And there was talk in early 2020 about contingency plans if that were to happen. But once we got to the end of 2020 and into 2021, it was apparent that Donald Trump only wanted to start a war with Iran in order to stay in power despite the will of the people. And, oh, wait a second. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what we just talked about before, except the comedic actor in Ukraine wanted to do it. Donald Trump was a dangerous authoritarian dictator telling the big lie because it was reported that he was about to start a military adventure in Iran in order to stay in power. But Volodymyr Zelensky is still a global beacon of freedom, even though he intends to cancel elections until he is able to win that war. It is always worth noting that the people coming down on Donald Trump for that, not that the story is true in the first place, are the same ones continuing to support Volodymyr Zelensky and this ridiculous Ukraine war. Now, Jack Posobiec on Twitter this morning tweeted about how the documents that Trump supposedly has in his hand right there may well just be that article from The New Yorker printed out. Now, is that true? We don't know, but it certainly could be. What we do know now is that the DOJ doesn't have any classified documents from that event that Trump was holding up and showing to those reporters. So they don't have the underlying document about which and for which Trump was committing espionage on an audio recording with the writers of his former chief of staff's book. You got all that? The one piece of evidence that is absolutely critical in that scenario does not exist. I've said a couple of times now, people are saying 
Trump had this classified document, this national security document. You can simply ask them, how do you know? How do you know what was on that document? Have you seen the document? And no, of course, none of them have. How do they know? Well, the media says that this document is a classified national security document. How does the media know? Has the media seen the document? No, they haven't. They have not reported seeing the document. So people believe the document is a national security classified document without having seen it because the news tells them that the news also hasn't seen it. So all we have is somebody said that somebody else said that somebody else said it was a national security document because the news is just reporting what's written in the indictment. And what's written in the indictment is only a layer of that because they are adding on all of their previous biases and expectations and hopes and dreams. It is wish fulfillment for them at this point. They want every single new event to be the event that finally turns things around. You look at the reaction to that fake Russia coup over the weekend. People like Michael McFall and Alexander Vindman nearly wetting themselves with glee about the possibility that Wagner is going to go in and take over the government in Moscow and depose Putin. Putin is fleeing. This is the chance for Ukraine to turn the tides in this war. We finally have control of their mercenary army, and we're setting that mercenary army back against Putin. This is going to be the coup de grace. The ultimate threat to the regime will be vanquished, and the regime will maintain power across the world We are going to have a golden age of our democracy worldwide, except that didn't happen. And it doesn't seem to be happening in the Trump documents case either. This is CBS News's Catherine Herridge from last evening. Iran memo at the heart of the now public audio recording is not part of the 31 counts of willful retention of national defense information charged in the special counsel indictment, a source familiar with the matter confirmed to CBS. So the mythical underlying document that Trump was sharing with these book writers either does not exist at all or at the very least was not some sort of classified national security document that was included in Jack Smith's indictment. Herridge attached a link to CBS reporting. The headline of that article, if you'd like to read it, is Iran memo not among the 31 records underlying charges in Trump federal indictment. And in the interest of time, we will skip the long introduction here. All of the recounting of the backstory. The article says, According to a source familiar with the matter, Trump was not charged with unlawfully holding on to the Iran related document discussed in the recording. Smith's 37 count indictment against Trump includes 31 charges of willfully retaining national defense information. It generally outlines each of the 31 classified records that prosecutors allege Trump illegally kept without naming the exact subject matter. The Iran memo is not part of the list of the 31 records in the indictment, the source said. On Tuesday, Fox News asked Trump about the recording and he insisted he did nothing wrong. My voice was fine, Trump told Fox News. What did I say wrong in those recordings? I didn't even see the recording. All I know is I did nothing wrong. 
We had a lot of papers, a lot of papers stacked up. In fact, you could hear the rustle of the paper. Nobody said I did anything wrong. And in another interview, Trump told Semaphore and ABC News that he did not have any sensitive records, calling his discussion captured on the recording bravado. I just held up a whole pile of my desk is loaded up with papers. I have papers from 25 different things, he said. Sources familiar with the matter said that the discussion of the allegedly classified document arose as Trump was talking about chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley, who had been portrayed in a story in The New Yorker as having fought in the last days of the Trump administration to keep the president from attacking Iran. In the recording of the meeting, the former president tells those with him the document discredited any criticism against him. Smith's office declined to comment. So we have another silver bullet that has failed to reach its target. They have been looking for the silver bullet to stop Donald Trump for eight straight years and have not been successful at it at all. Not even once. The get Trump effort is an absolute disaster. When this audio came out the other night, all of the people you would expect to go crazy over something like this, believing that they had the new silver bullet, that the walls had finally closed all the way in, were absolutely giddy about this audio, especially the fact that it came out right after that little video went viral. With Joe Biden saying, I sold state secrets. The excitement level was off the charts. They've got him now. Except they don't have him. Not from that audio. And that was supposed to be the thing they really had him nailed on. Gosh, that audio is just so damning. Wait till you hear the audio. And at that point, no one will be able to deny Trump's guilt. He was committing espionage. He was caught on tape. All we need now is that document that he was showing to these book writers and he is finished. Hand me the doc. You don't, you don't have the document. Okay. Well, can you get the document and, uh, and bring it over here because I'm just completing my, my big thing where I finally show the world that Trump is guilty of all of this and has been for eight years. And despite the setbacks, finally, the walls have really closed in. If you could just go grab that document, bring it back over so I can show the public that we have this document, that would be great because it's really important that everybody out there knows we finally have Trump this time. Oh, you don't have the document. Well, who has the document? No one has the document. Wait, wait, wait. So the document wasn't part of the Jack Smith indictment at all. And this audio has nothing to do with that. Well, damn, I guess we better figure out something else. This audio definitely does prove about Donald Trump and how bad he is. Otherwise, people might think that we don't know what the hell we're talking about and that we're just making all of this stuff up and have been for eight years. And that's the actual reason why Trump is still walking free. It's because we just made up everything the whole time. Let's make sure no one ever finds out. Well, so the question becomes, how did CNN get this audio? Did they get it from the DOJ? Here's Trump attorney Alina Haba on Fox News. 
Jay did. They keep everything close to their chest until they realize they're losing and he's leading in the polls. So then they leak something and tell the American people, listen to what he said. Well, let's think about what he said. He said exactly what the Presidential Records Act says. The president has the right to declassify documents. Who doesn't? A non-president, a senator like Joe Biden, when he had classified documents and took them out 40 years ago, 30 years ago, and had no right to do it. But what is the judge saying? Because if this is true, right. that the prosecution, the Department of Justice, would leak this information, there has to be some consequences. Oh, there better be some Has consequences. there been any contact with the judge to discuss this? If there has, it's privileged at this point. A lot of things are under seal. But I can tell you who hasn't done any leaks and who has been listening to everything the judge said, and that's Donald Trump, who President Trump was told by a judge he can't talk about any of the evidence. So explain to me how then evidence is being leaked the week that Hunter Biden is getting indicted or, or misdemeanor charges for things that he should have been going to jail for, let's be honest. And if it was a Trumper, would have gone to jail for. But nobody talks about that. What do they want to talk about? Trump, 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 submarine. Oh, I know. Release a tape. Release a tape saying what? That the Presidential Records Act allows a president to declassify documents. He is the only person that has the power to single-handedly do that. That's what the tape says. It's so is it the position of the president that when he was having that conversation, the information that he was talking about mm -hmm. was already declassified, or was it what he told Brett Baird that it was a news article there, or is it either or, or is it both? I don't know, and here's what I do know. The clip they put out doesn't answer that question. All it says is President Trump said, hi, look, if I was president, I can declassify a classified document. And when you're not president, you can't. Only the president can do that. What does that say? Well, it says exactly what dual system of justice we're living in. That's what I heard. That's what I saw. And I would, and, and by the way, all we know is that in the indictment itself, there was no Iran documents named as part of it. Just want the American public to realize that. That document that they claim he had was not part of the indictment. This is desperate times and desperate measures by people Have that are losing. It? Have what, they the found docu what document are they talking they're, about? Th that's what they're saying it was, but that was not part of the indictment. It doesn't make sense. I'm surprised she didn't also mention the fact that Trump was discussing the Clintons handling of classified information and the Anthony Weiner laptop because the release of this audio recording has actually brought both of those issues into the public understanding once again. All of the Uniparty left's villagers surely went and listened to that audio thinking that they were about to get Trump and instead they had to deal with insults about Hillary Clinton and the return of Anthony Weiner's laptop. This couldn't have possibly gone worse for them. So did the DOJ leak the audio like Alina Haba said? It's possible that they did. It's possible that the DOJ interviewed those book authors, Mark Meadows, ghostwriters, and that they had recorded the audio from the interview with Trump in order to use his quotes for the book. It's possible that Jack Smith interviewed them. And in that process, they turned over those recordings to the DOJ as evidence. That is essentially what we are being told happened. So if that's the case, the DOJ had those tapes somehow from their possession. This audio was leaked to the media. Was it the DOJ? It's hard to say. It could have been the book authors if they held those recordings in their possession. It's entirely possible that they leaked those recordings to the media. And if they did, it's then possible that they did it with or without the knowledge 
of the DOJ and with or without the knowledge of Donald Trump. And then it's also possible that Trump simply had the audio of that discussion and sent it to CNN himself. Now, that's certainly not the way it's being reported. So this is pure speculation on my part, but it's very likely that Donald Trump is wise enough to know that his conversations are consistently used against him and that that is a pattern of behavior for members of the regime, the people who have been trying to get him for a very long time, for the people who have been influencing politics through these methods for a very long time. So it's possible that Donald Trump just records all of his meetings and holds on to the recordings. So if that's the case and Donald Trump begins to see all of this reporting being done, maybe there is someone in Jack Smith's investigation who is leaking to the press about the existence of this audio, trying to make the story sound much more real to the press and then have the press take that story out and give it to all the people. So all the people think Donald Trump is absolutely definitely guilty. Just wait until you hear this incredible piece of evidence, this audio that Jack Smith is going to use at this trial. It's going to show that Trump knowingly committed espionage. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's someone from Jack Smith's investigation leaking to the press and they just kind of made a mistake. They thought this evidence was really big and really damning. And it turns out that it's not. Or maybe Donald Trump saw the coverage of all of this and was like, oh, yeah, I have that tape. Hey, here, media, do you want it? Do you want this tape? Go play this tape for everybody and tell them that this tape is so damning that I am definitely going to spend the rest of my life in prison. And let's just see how that goes after the first hour or two. Once people actually start trying to figure out what it is, let's see how that goes. Let's see how long you can hold on to your Donald Trump is going to prison forever narrative. And in a few moments, poof, it's gone. The whole thing is gone. The whole thing is gone. This has been a major storyline now for a few weeks since this indictment that there is this piece of audio that is very damning with Donald Trump. He's just throwing these documents around everywhere, just waving them around at Bedminster and Mar-a-Lago everywhere he goes. He wants everybody to know that when he was president, he got to handle classified information and he still has some of it. That's how bold he is. And he wants everyone to know, hey, everybody, did you know that I was president and that I have important information? Ha ha ha. I know something you don't know. That's Donald Trump. Old, irresponsible, evil, dangerous, stupid, narcissistic, egomaniac who can't control himself. Donald Trump just waving national security documents around. And there's audio that proves it, except that audio doesn't prove it. And all you have to do to understand that the story is complete and total nonsense is actually listen to the audio. And the crazy thing, the craziest thing is that this isn't even the first time this exact thing has happened in this exact way. It's happened multiple times before. Let's recall, for instance, the perfect phone call with the comedic actor in Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. They went out and impeached Donald Trump over this phone call, saying that it was a quid pro quo. Adam Schiff essentially wrote a transcript of this call, a fictional transcript that he made up saying what that call said as it was relayed to him. 
And then after that went out in the public and all of these same people every single time took it hook, line and sinker, told the American public about it. Donald Trump just simply dropped the actual transcript of the phone call on the public. And that was all over. They still went through the impeachment. Massive failure that was. As soon as that stopped, what started? Oh, right. That was right when COVID started. Because without the impeachment and with everything in the country going so well, Donald Trump was absolutely going to get a second term in office. And of course, he won the election regardless. But they had to give people some reason to believe otherwise when they stole that election. And so they did whatever they could to make Trump look as bad as they could possibly make him look. They reported on a phone call. Everything was premised on that phone call. The phone call didn't exist as they said it. Donald Trump produced the actual call. Game over. Same thing here. This audio was supposed to be damning. This is the proof he committed espionage. All that happens is the audio actually comes out. People hear it. They put things together. They realize, oh, wait, there aren't any Iran documents in the indictment. So this can't possibly be Donald Trump admitting espionage that Jack Smith is trying him for. Same exact thing. Game over once again. The whole story about that audio is just all gone off the table. Irrelevant. Another piece of this story proven absolutely fake. And once big pieces are proven fake, it's usually time to ignore the whole thing. As I was describing the other day, talking about the Russia coup. But what else do we have on the horizon? Well, we have the perfect phone call in Georgia, just like the perfect phone call in Ukraine and just like the perfect interview on that audio. Perfect every time. Who is it perfect for? Donald Trump. And what is that perfect phone call in Georgia? The call is out there. Anyone can listen to the duration of the call, but they don't listen to it. They say that they heard the important part. The news told them about the important part. That's the part they heard. From that part, they know that Donald Trump is guilty without listening to the rest of the phone call. And that's why none of them do listen to it. Because they don't want to know what the rest of the phone call says. They say they can't stand to hear Trump's voice. They would never listen to Donald Trump talk for an hour and actually listen to him and find out what he said. That's not for them to do. That's for people who can stand to listen to Donald Trump's voice. They trust all of those people. So they're just happy to take their word for it because they know that Donald Trump is the bad man they believe him to be, as are his supporters. And that's all that's required. The hate movement is self-justifying. They know Donald Trump did the bad thing because Donald Trump is the person who does the bad things. But of course, if they listened to the phone call, they would find out that Donald Trump didn't do the bad thing and that the people they're trusting to tell them about what Donald Trump did are lying to their faces because all you need to do is listen to the perfect phone call in Georgia to know that the whole thing is a lie. If Trump was planting all of these stories himself, it could not work out better for him. And that being the case, maybe it's time to consider that Donald Trump is doing that. I mean, he announced the Mar-a-Lago raid. He announced the Jack Smith indictment. 
And now we have this video. What are we supposed to think? Donald Trump has been orchestrating this situation, at least the narrative aspects from the very beginning of it last August. And anybody who's been paying attention to all of this for the last eight years should see pretty clearly where this is going. And if you can, you'll understand pretty quickly that another get Trump effort has failed. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab, and I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!